What up? Hi everyone, Tim Kittrow, and you're listening to the Pie Factory Podcast. Boom shakalaka! After we hit record is a cough. I mean, really? Yep. yep. Well, the allergies are acting up again. Ooh. So, tis the season. But I am fully vaccinated and Woo-hoo. so I know it's not COVID. You can still get COVID yeah, once you're you vaccinated. Still, you just won't. Yeah, you, you just have a very good chance you're not going to get seriously ill. That's what it is. Let's, we should, less we talk about that, the better. But, yeah, because uh, it's not I, something that's happening. So yeah. Oh no, of course not. Yeah, we should so how, we how shouldn't I, we should not talk off topic like about hamburgers and drinks and other things like that. Oh, of course Because that'd not. be just wrong. So how the heck are you, Sean? How the heck am I? Um, you know, I had to delay the recording tonight by about five minutes because I had to uh, uh, empty myself, and I think I'm gonna have to do it again. That's a shame because Uh-oh. I just had a bottle of uh, WT Hex waffles and syrup soda that sounds interesting yeah it's it just tastes like you're drinking maple syrup i mean it's you know like carbonated maple syrup yeah, yeah i mean it's nothing nothing special nothing bad you know i figured i had the other two wt heck drinks i might as well have the third one so sure yeah so no drinking arena tonight nah, then, huh? it's not worth it i wasn't expecting it to be worth anything uh, mm-hmm. i also haven't had the lester's fixins coffee drinks because i don't like coffee uh-huh. and I, but anyway, how am I? That's a darn good question. I'm kind of tired because today has just been running around, taking the dog out, running to the post office, going mm-hmm. down to visit my parents, coming back up, running into the uh, Pie Factory Headquarters North recording studio so we could do this podcast episode 121 for all Yay. of you. And I extend my arms to you, the listener, as a sign of welcomeness. And if this was a video podcast, it would mean something. Mm, indeed. Oh, ice. Mm. I see. <laughs> so, you're doing good. That's good. Yeah, I'm doing good and I'm getting a well score. Yeah. I went out on my bicycle for the first time this week, mm. and now that week is over. Um, so it's also the last time this week. I rode a local trail today that I have not ridden before. Ooh, nice. That is the uh, Waponsi Glacial Trail. It's like 22 miles one way from Joliet to uh, Custer Park, which is just mm. south of the Kankakee River. But I only did the stretch from Simmerton to uh, to Custer Park, which is uh, 14 miles round trip, seven one way. Duh. Actually, no, I think it's closer to 15 miles round trip. Mm. But um, it's on an old railroad bed, so the trail's fairly level and fairly uh, straight. But uh, the old railroad bridge over the Kankakee River is just fantastic. Really, it's uh, it's definitely worth coming out. the uh, The closest parking lot to it is like two miles away, so it's not terrible for the average rider. Which is kind of sucks because the trail ends right at Route One Thirteen in Custer Park, which is where the bridge ends. It's like maybe maybe fifty feet between the bridge and and uh, and the road, and there's like no parking lot on the other side of the road. So I don't know. I had heard that they're talking about extending it, the tra- uh, the trail even further south across several counties, hmm. because I guess most of the original railroad bed is still available. That would be neat to see. It's also part of the uh, U.S. Route 66 bicycle route, even though it's uh. up about four or five miles uh, east of the east of it. So, but yeah, so that's basically what I did today, other than eat, sleep, and plan a trip for our anniversary in may 
So, oh, oh, you know where you're going to go yet? Minneapolis. I want to go back. I've only been there once really quickly for a college football game. So I'd like to have another chance to see what's up there. Yeah, I've been through it. I've never stopped. Uh, and we're not really going to see too much because of the time constraint, but we're going to go to the uh, Valley Fair theme park out there, and, uh, which is part of the Cedar Point chain. Ah, know, okay. We're going to check that out. And uh, our hotel is not that far from the Mall of America, so on the Sunday uh, that we're going to go check that out a little bit. Let's see what's up with that. I forget that they have that theme park there at the mall. Yeah, Camp Snoopy. Yep, which is a Camp Snoopy also at uh, Valley Fair because the huh. Cedar Point chain has the rights to the Charlie Brown characters. Ah, okay. And yeah, I'll tell you what. The, what's at the Mall of America. The same crap you'll get at any other mall. That's it. It's yeah. just a big mall. I kind of figure as much, but at le- you know At least what? that's what it was in uh, 1992 when I was there. Minus Sears. <laughs> same crap at every other mall, minus Sears. In other words, the same crap at any other mall. Yeah, that's a good point. That was supposed to be like one of the upscale Sears stores there, but, you know, Eddie Lampert ruined the chain, so... I mean, Sears was going downhill anyway, but he just hastened its decline because yeah. through mismanagement and greed. But we won't go any further on that. So, <laughs> Instead of me asking you what you've been playing lately, I think I'm going to ask both of us the question because I think I know what the answer to that question is. <laughs> yeah, of course you know what the answer to that question is. I've been playing Tron. A lot. Oh. Well, at least at Underground Retro because I finally went back well, there. It's I was been going to long, say but... Circus Convoy on oh. the 2600. Oh, Circus Convoy. Is that a new game? Oh, okay. All I'll right, ask yeah, the right, question right. That, that I don't know if people are serious or they really just don't know. Are they still making games for the 2600? Why, yes, they are. Good grief, yeah. There's a huge homebrew scene, so the people have really never stopped this is making uh, games for the 2600. You just got to know where to find them. But with um, Circus Convoy is a interesting beast. It's technically a homebrew, I guess. Well, it's not made the, at home. It's made by an actual company. Yeah, it's made by an actual company, which is, what was it? David Crane, Gary Kitchen, and... Dan Kitchen, I think, too. Dan Kitchen, yeah. And apparently they've been working on this game for like three years. And boy, does it show. this. Yeah. I, I don't think they use any special hardware in it. I don't think, I don't, th- do they? I don't know. I don't they know. They might use bank switching, but they don't use like uh, the DPC chip or RAM plus or anything. I don't think. And the whole time I'm playing it, I'm thinking, oh, good God, there's like no flicker in the game. There, Well, there are a couple of tiny instances of flicker here and there, mm-hmm. but it's extremely rare. It's so freaking unreal. Mm-hmm. The, the object of the game is uh, there's somebody trying to sabotage your uh, your circus and so you're um a guy known as the chameleon whose name escapes me for the moment and you're running along the tops of trailers in a convoy of trucks trying to get the clues to who did it and uh to eventually capture them and this is a very difficult uh very involving game it makes it easy to upload your scores to yeah. uh, to the website basically you do something i don't remember what it is off the top of my head and uh, it gives you a QR code. You just yeah. snap a picture of that, and it'll upload your score and everything. It's really neat. Yeah. And to answer your question, according to the manual, which I happen to have right next to me, so who is our hero? The circus's strongman. Sometimes a swami or a clown 
or three question marks. He is known as the Chameleon, but today he appears to us simply as Andre the Magnificent. Andre, that's it. Andre Did you hear Atari Bytes uh, when Bill was talking about Circus Convoy? No, I didn't. It's the latest episode effective of the recording when we're recording this. Uh-huh. He was talking about it. He read it from the manual, and then he stopped just on the inside cover. And he's like, well, I'm not going to read this whole thing. I wished he had gone a little bit further because point number four on the next page is perhaps the greatest thing ever that oh that that man will ever read. Oh, do you have your manual handy? Uh, it's all the way over here. It's in the box. Yeah, I don't know if I want to give it away. I'd rather have people go back and listen to uh, Bill's uh, Bermuda Triangle episode, on which he <laughs> talks about how he oh, was yeah, playing this. Uh, unlike most homebrews, this is like a very professional. Package. It is super professional. Uh, it's it's like Activision never stopped. Let's put it that yep. way. Yep. So point four. Oh dear lord. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Wait, what's this? I never saw this little document. What is this? Oh, limited warranty card. So yeah, I mean it looks exactly like you're playing an it's it's packaged exactly like an Activision game from the day. Except you you're don't have mate. that little foam insert in the cartridge. I've I've actually never owned an Activision game with one of those. Neither have I well, I never owned an Activision game until two thousand six. I mean, the box looks exactly the same. Yep. Your main one of your characters has the rainbow behind them, like it does on almost every other Activision cartridge uh, box, and it's very professional. And it's uh, affiliated with the National Video Game Museum. Oh wow! And even uh, the cartridge on the back. The cartridge itself is very Activision. It doesn't use the Activision font; it uses a custom font. But it has the same design, except it doesn't have those little thin slots so you yeah, can stack the cartridges. That's just, the only thing. I was thing. just checking my copy with that because I wasn't sure if it had that, which is kind of a bit of a bummer. But you know what? Oh, well. That's what Dremels are for. Still. Oh, well. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that. That's a, I, that's not a deal breaker for me because you can look overlook little things when you yeah. uh, the product is uh, amazing in every other respect. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm thinking that maybe that, that exact cartridge design, Activision might still own rights to it or something. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, and uh, seriously, ever since I got the car, I mean, I've been playing it since the download was made available for me. Because I have uh, Collector Edition number 102, which means it's the second Collector Edition off the shelf. So I got mine mm-hmm. pretty early. Uh, I got the download pretty early, and I've, I've I started playing it right away. And once I got the cartridge, uh, it hasn't left my seventy eight hundred yet. Well, it has for me a few times, uh, mainly because I picked up a couple of uh, games from the Atari. Well, oh yeah, one of them isn't a game, but uh, a game and another thing for the twenty six hundred out of the Atari Age store. Do tell. Uh, the game I picked up was is Anguna. Which is kind of a similar to it's it's kind of like a a demake of the Legend of Zelda in a way. Uh, it's an adventure game, multiple screens, and I've played the demo a few times, and I'm like, oh, this is pretty fun. So I went ahead and purchased that. And out of curiosity, I purchased the synth cart, which is basically an audio generator for the 2600. And so far, I like it, but I there's like a learning curve, and the small manual that comes with it doesn't really do it justice. But I've got one big problem with it, and that is uh, it doesn't really work like it should on a 7800 because the cartridge makes use of the uh, left and right difficulty switches and the uh, the black and white color select switch, which 
the 7800 doesn't have. I mean, the pause button has a similar a function, but the second you let off of it, it just goes right back. So it's kind of doesn't work with that. But uh, I don't know. I guess I've got access to like three quarters of the, the thing's functions, and it's kind of interesting. But uh, there's not going to be a whole lot I can do with it unless I get a uh, get it on the 2600, or if I can, or get a get a 2600, or if I can find a way to get a ROM for it. Which <clears throat> I mean, I purchased it. I wouldn't give it out if if I could find it, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I do want to mess with it some more though, because it does look like a really neat product. Oh, I wonder how it would work if you get the ROM. How it would work on a flashback portable? That would That's be pretty a good interesting. Question. That would be interesting. Yeah, I back on December eighth, I ordered. Uh, this is April seventeenth when we're recording at my dad's eighty one birthday. Eighty one. Uh, yep. Yep. And uh, he said, "Surprised I made it." And I had to bite my tongue because I wanted to say that too. <laughs> but anyway, um, oh yeah, on December 8th, and it's now April 17th, I ordered Zookeeper for the 2600 and uh, yep. Dragon's Cash for the uh, 7800, which I think is a columns type game. And still don't have them. I'm sad. But at the same time, I don't really have time to be sad because, well, first of all, I have a job. So, uh, that takes up, uh, nine hours, four days of my week and at least four hours, another day of my week and other things to do such as podcasting. And of course the circus convoy cartridge that has not left the console, but I do believe that my collector vision Phoenix is on its way. Yes. Let me ask you this, Jimmy G. Mm -hmm. Do you know if they ship from Montreal? I don't know. Because I'm pretty sure they're Canadian, and this morning my wife che- my wife signed up for that uh, informed delivery that the post office does, mm-hmm. where they let you know when something is on its way to you, like any kind of mail at all. I think they send you even a picture of the, the, the address and everything. She said to me, are you expecting something from Canada? And I said, I guess I am now. Well, on the Collector Vision page on Facebook, page manager locations, United States, comma, Canada. And since one of the guys has uh, is seems to have a French name, hmm. I would say probably Canada's a, a, a good bet. Ooh, and Montreal is in the French part of Canada. Let's see here. Maybe I can find something on their website. Oh, yeah, here we go. We're located in Phoenix, USA and Montreal, Canada. <gasps> Seven Lang, Quebec, uh, Canada. So you're getting it sooner than you thought. Well, well, I thought I would have had it a long time ago. I ordered true, it, what, 18 months ago? So you're going to be enjoying a great system. Oh, no, i got to get a control. Oh, I should, oh, I should. Uh, looks like I'm going to have to place an order with Ed Ladin again. Oh, boy. As I say, uh, in the meantime, I might have an extra one I could throw your way. What, an Ed Ladin controller? No. Ah. Or you could get an SNES controller. Hmm. The SNES controllers work with it. It has a... SNES controller port on it. Uh, the only thing is to do the numbers, you got to do a certain kind of key pass, presses and uses the shoulder buttons on the SNES. But I mean, in the meantime, until you get some other solution going, it's at least something. Yeah. No, seriously, I think I'm gonna order myself. I'm gonna order myself another Ed Ladin. I have two. I have two Ed Ladin controllers already. I'll, I'll if you don't want the uh, seventy eight hundred dual stick one, I'll take that off your hands. No, that one I'm definitely going to keep because I do plan to play Robotron with it. Oh, oh, yep, yeah, hide, put the thing in. This week in Robotron. <sighs> okay. Um. 
I'm surprised. Oh, we haven't talked about the email or the voice yet. And uh, what else? Oh, dude, speaking, I, talk, I talked about how I went to Underground Retrocade recently. And rumor has it you did, too. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And uh, we. Th- th- this was a fun thing that uh, they were doing over there. They were having a little contest because it was Easter weekend in which you would win a small prize if you exposed the Easter egg in the Atari 2600 adventure game. And so I decided to take a stab at it because I have done the Easter egg thing exactly once on that game. So I figured, hey, might as well do it again. It took me like half an hour at least because I started with game two and the bat kept getting in the way and I kind of forgot where the dot was. So I pulled out my phone and uh, Scott said, um, if you're using YouTube to f- or any other thing to uh, refresh your memory, it doesn't count. I was like, ah, <laughs> I mean, I didn't so much care for the prize. I just wanted to get the Easter egg, but I did. I did using game two on the uh, 2600 adventure. And then you did it with game three right after me. And it took you like 30 seconds. It, yeah, it didn't take me that long. The thing with game three is, excuse me, it randomizes everything. So. Yeah. The way all the necessary items are spaced apart in game two, it it, it is mm-hmm. designed to take for a long time. And then when the bat gets in the way, forget it. Bats yeah. are jerks. Well, at least in video games, they are in real life. Bats are not. But yeah, I didn't bats know. What are the, helpful. I didn't know or care what the prize was until Scott said what the prize was. I think you asked him. You said, "What's the prize?" He said, "A drink out of the fridge." I was like, "Oh my god, I want that!" <laughs> I had never been so excited about a drink in my life because I was really thirsty. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was cool. And when I played Tron, I think I mentioned that I was playing Tron. I finally, I I actually made a little tiny bit of progress. I made it to the Fortran level. Which, that's the third level, right? I don't remember. I, I think I got past the third level. I think okay. Fortran is the fourth. A good deal of it is thanks to you for showing me your uh, box yourself in strategy on the uh, light cycles minigame. Yeah, well, I think I got that from the, um, uh, the issue of uh, Joystick Magazine that talked about Tron. I think you told me that, yeah. Fact that's archive.org, right? I think so, yeah. And I was actually able to survive a couple of rounds of the uh armor dot 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 attack, attack. mini game. So that that was something. I felt really good and um always have a good time. Oh man, dude. I was so ticked though, because I love going to Van's frozen custard and getting some frozen custard because I love frozen custard. Mm-hmm. And I know from being in there that they have a sign in there that says that the grill closes at nine, basically mm-hmm. meaning, hey, if you have a hot, if you want to order some burgers or hot dogs or something, you have until nine. I looked on their website, see what time they were open. They were open till 10. I walk mm-hmm. over there at 930. They're dark. Oh, like, boy. Oh, they had, they must have like alternate COVID hours because they the, the sign on their door said they close at eight. Duh. So people who follow me on Twitter, by the way, if you saw my tweet that said, uh, attention business owners, please check your website and make sure that your hours are correct. Cause that was the third time that that happened to me in the pa- in that week, I had to go to a business according to its websites, business hours, and they were closed and they never bothered to update the website. Okay. The uh, issue of, of joystick magazine is January, 1983. And that's the issue that has the interview with uh, Frank and uh, Moon Zappa. Well, you know what I have to say about that? No. Link in the show notes. Link in the show notes. 
But uh, light cycles. Light cycle screen is a difficult one to master, and a little memory work helps here. After studying the strategy diagrams in this article, only can be a matter of practice before you gain confidence on the screen. Get in the habit of pushing the joystick and trigger full throttle as soon as you get a da. Blah, 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 blah. Um... Oh, actually, not all of their patterns are box yourself in, but uh, actually, it's only the second one really isn't. The first and second aren't. But uh, yeah, for the most part, uh, the rest of them are all box yourself in. And they tell you how to get all the way to the, wow, wave 13. They give you patterns for the tanks. The only one they don't give you patterns for is the MPC, MCP cone, because uh, the MCP cone is kind of not something that you can use a pattern with. Yeah. Uh, I'd send you the link in Facebook Messenger, but I can't. So, at any rate, so, Joystick Magazine. In fact, just put the put a link up to the whole uh, archive of Joystick Magazines. They yeah, were, uh, yeah. They were probably the most original and unusual uh, video game magazine from that era. That was the only video game magazine I ever read back then. I read a few of them. I read... Because uh, I oh, didn't know... Got an article, they also got an article about Donkey Kong Jr., and they have an article about Centipede in the same issue. Hmm. The only reason I know about it is because I think my mom picked one up for me when she was out shopping. And it's that, I think that I same it. issue I mentioned in the first episodes. No, I got I got an issue of it for Christmas. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. oh, speaking of uh mentioned in the first episodes how I talked about joystick, mm-hmm. this month is our sixth anniversary. Yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah. We, wow, we launched this podcast years. in April I think of April Fool's Day, actually. I think of you're 2015. Right. And the amazing thing is, at the rate we're going, by the time we reach our 10th anniversary, we'll probably be releasing one episode every six months. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Maybe we should just release like one, like 10-hour episode. That way we can say that we have a longer podcast than the Intellivisionaries. Oh, oh, that might be something. <laughs> might be a bad idea, but you know, it's something. Well, for those people who who have asked us to do longer episodes so they can pass their workday away with it, then that'd be a good idea. Mm-hmm. We have had that request. I've, I've mentioned have, that before. That we have. That we have. But by the way, while it's still fresh in my mind, can we uh, do a Addenda and Errata? Right sure. Now? Okay, cool. Okay, in this episode's Addenda and Errata, uh, first of all, do you have anything, Jimmy G? Nope. Okay, yeah. Um, my addendum for this episode, um, I misspoke on our previous episode. I know it's an extreme oh. rarity for either of us to say the wrong thing, but I had said that the reason that I went to Underground Retrocade before was to play some trackball games, to do some uh, muscle therapy because uh, my tennis elbow, and then I realized, wait a minute. That was useless because my tennis elbow is my left elbow, but I play trackball games with my right hand. I was suddenly reminded after we released the episode that I didn't go there for tennis elbow therapy. I went there because I had just gotten my second Moderna vaccine in my right arm and it was feeling all tight afterwards. So I figured if I play some trackball games like Missile Missile Command, especially because I just finished reading Tony Temple's Missile Command book. And uh, centipede and millipede, I thought for sure, like the wax on, wax off kind of motion that you do when you play a trackball game. Man, I thought that would be great therapy for my tightened arm. And uh, like I said in the pre in that episode, I found myself getting worn out a lot faster than than normal. So, yeah, there was definitely something going on there. But hey, I think I think I made the right choice. Video game therapy, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I was just perusing through the issue of Joystick Magazine and looked at the subscription form. And um, they were on Oakton Street in Skokie. Yes, yes. And it's now Buzzline Company, warehouse for art and office supplies. Hmm. So if they want to sponsor us, you know, we're willing to take your money for very little return. Yep. So I don't have any addenda or errata, but we have something we haven't had in a while. And what is and that? that is Carnal Relations. No, um, that is a uh, audio submission from oh, tell. a friend of the show. Oh, so, so it's feedback. Feedback. All right. Hi, put, in the, put in the new you. jingle, will you? Your new jingle, will you? F-E-E-D-B-A-C. Feedback. 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 Isn't that uh, the name of the band, the new jingle, will you? No, Scattered Frog is the band. Oh, okay. Yeah, he might be the lead singer, new jingle, oh, will you? could be. Right. So let's play that now and pretend like we're listening to it while we record. Just play the record. Calling occupants of interplanetary craft. Calling occupants of interplanetary most extraordinary craft. Hey, fellas. I'm sure you had no desire to guilt any of your listeners into contributing to the show, but even without intending to, you've guilted me into sending something. And I felt complimented that you brought me up during the revisited episode 120, and I felt complimented that you remembered that I sent in an audio submission a few years back that regarded the great universal arcade game Ladybug, one of my favorites, as I wanted to extol the virtues of John Champol's Atari 2600 conversion. And if memory serves, I talked briefly about the Intellivision version, which I like, because I wanted to crack you up by pointing out that because of the colors and the almost fabric-like texture of the graphics, it looked like Raggedy Ann had exploded all over the playfield. But it's good. I like the Intellivision. I like them all before a certain point. And I remain an Amiga fan. I had a souped-up 2500 for about 15 years, thanks to my buddy Adam, who you might know as Bally Alley, who put it together for me as a gift. I composed a lot of music on it, and wrote a lot of books and website articles, and of course played a lot of games. I even made a few goofy animated cartoons on it. Anyway, I reckoned it would be a lot of fun to send something in. I guess it doesn't typically occur to me to send audio feedback, because you've both already been putting up with me for 20 years. Unless I'm mistaken, it was in 2001 when I signed up on Atari Age, and first engaged in music discussions, primarily about the Beatles and the Beach Boys, with a thoughtful and articulate guy named Dauber and text conversed with a funny and intelligent chap called Inky, and got my first happy bidet. Thanks for being such great virtual friends for two decades. And I say put up with, because I know I tend to be a, a voice of dissent, without setting out to. Anyone publicly disagreeing with the status quo is going to be vilified to some extent. I've been called contrarian, at least on Atari age in the past. What I'd rather focus on are the agreements and the things that make us friends. These classic video games from back when creative risks were taken as a rule, rather than an exception and new gameplay paradigms, or at least new twists and familiar mechanics, were being regularly invented. And most any game, regardless of graphical or aural help from others, was an auteur prospect, one man's vision, like a music composer. I like to concentrate on the fact that we have that great interest in common. Anyway, this of course brings me to the games you're currently covering. Briefly, anyway, as I've never been into Hayak games, unless you count Bruce Lee on the C64 and Atari 8-bits, but that's much more of an adventure game. So if you please, I'd rather speak about the favorite arcade games you've recently discussed and the ones you would have in your basement game room. 
my first inclination would be games that I love, but which I can't play in MAME anywhere nearly as intended by the programmers. So those would be Tron, Mad Planets, Tempest, Star Wars, and The Empire Strikes Back, Robotron 2084, Black Widow, uh, Centipede and Millipede, Missile Command, Defender, and Stargate. I guess that makes 12. So I'll turn The Empire Strikes Back and Black Widow into honorable mentions. Well, just some comments about absolute favorites then, such as Mr. Do. Well, given the exclamation point, Mr. Do, which I never get sick of. Junior Pac-Man is my gobble game of choice, although there will always be something highly compelling about the original, probably due to early fascination association. <laughs> cool phrase. Back when I thought there were only pinball tables, Asteroids Deluxe machines, and Pac-Man machines. Asteroids Deluxe was the first coin-operated video game I ever saw or played. It was the coffee table model, as I call them. These screen-based games were the very height of technology, as far as I was concerned. This was thrilling to a nine-year-old. Playing any arcade game was a huge occasion. Part of the excitement was the, um, the intimidation that radiated from this dark, daunting portal between the familiar world and an often literally alien one. You didn't want to make any mistakes, because the end of your visit was brought closer by each one, and additional quarters would rarely be supplied. You hungered for enough skills to gain access to as much of that enticing other world as possible, to earn the spatial freedom to explore it, and maybe even subjugate it. Fancy words. With the countless research materials available to us these days, nowadays you'll encounter pedigrees that read like the final pages of uh, detective stories or something. Anyway, the thing about Pac-Man was the multi-character behavior, with each adversary behaving slightly differently from the others. And we're in agreement, they are called monsters. And there's also the fact that Pac-Man can incessantly consume without getting any bigger. And there are no consequences except positive ones. And yet another essential element entails cleaning up messes. I'll, I'll leave the armchair psychoanalysts to their own games, but disposing of all the stuff and making a large area irreversibly clean is an achievement that usually can't be experienced after just a few minutes of effort like that. While it makes perfect sense for a living being to eat most of the game's bonus items, cherries, strawberries, etc., what the devouring of keys represents I'll leave up to you guys. An elevator action is another favorite. Your goal in each building is simply to make your way from the roof to the underground parking garage, I guess, pocketing all of the important documents along the way by visiting the red-doored rooms. It was awfully kind of the enemy to paint them so conspicuously, wasn't it? In spite of the strangely abundant elevators in these buildings, one doesn't feel all that confined. And the enemies don't figure out complicated combat maneuvers, like ducking, until you've advanced to the second building. Another masterpiece I would have is Joust. Gloriously violent and mercilessly brutal without a hint of firepower. And who wouldn't want to control an ostrich with such remarkable wing speed? But I've always really loved the game, and I, I dig its inventive use of physics. And then there's the cool egg wave that gives you the opportunity to rack up a bunch of points in one falling swoop. And as my father used to tell me, you can never have too many ostriches. Now that I mention it, that was an odd thing for him to say. Joust didn't even exist at the time. Anyway, it's another immensely original game. And speaking of which, another cabinet I would have is another title game, Lunar Rescue. A few elements from previous games are freshly combined to render something decidedly original. It's the same with Frostbite on the 2600. But back to Lunar Rescue, the premise of the thruster-controlled descent through rows of moving things has never been more enjoyably realized, at least in the arcade. And then there's Toy Pop which I believe Namco only released in Japan, and you kindly recalled that I wrote about it in my book. I don't know what the reasoning was behind the title, 
But the game itself is such a blast that it could have been called screens full of squares and it wouldn't have made a difference. The idea of a power-up system that's part and parcel of the puzzle scheme struck me as exceptionally clever, and it drove me to figure out what all the objects were for, by which time I was hooked. You have mentioned Zookeeper, but all I'd like to say about it is that your character, Zeke, is clearly not a zookeeper. He's a mason. As a matter of fact, he lays bricks so quickly that his skills are being altogether wasted on animals who are understandably disinclined to have a zoo built around them. I say that if they're so troubled by captivity that they're willing to chew through bricks, just let them go. At the least, take the time to study them. That's one hell of a phenomenon. And it's fun in that game to steer in mid-jump. Other favorites are Turtles, not the Teenage Mutant Ninja kind, Berserk, Frenzy, Pepper 2, Cubert, and Up and Down. What's often missed about the latter game is that you can move backward. You can reverse your car. So it's not really a high-pressure, forced-scrolling kind of racing game like Bump and Jump Ask or anything. You only need to collect all the flags. It's fun. Well, I've been listening avidly since the first episode, about six years ago now. It's always great and a lot of fun and even comforting to hear from my great pals across the middle of the country. But if you'll allow me to briefly borrow from someone's great autobiography, the good does go around. And in that respect, you both got a lot of good coming back at you. Five continues. Times a million. Thank you for continuing with the show and for inserting the occasional duck. The duck makes me laugh loudly every time. Thanks again. And so long for now. Oh, thanks for the kind words uh, there, Chris. Uh, that's yes, thank you very much. And uh, It's interesting, though. Did, I don't know if you thought this, Jimmy G, but Chris Plus Plus was very vocal about how he didn't like that we rated the games, yet he turned around and rated our podcast on. and still gave yeah, us a really but, nice uh, rating. So that's very kind. Yeah, I appreciate that. Was very, yeah, that was very kind. And we didn't mean to shame you into submitting anything. We were just no, making an observation. No. We haven't hadn't heard from you in a while. We were kind of curious what uh, what you were doing. Yeah, making uh, sure you're days. okay. Yeah. So it's good to, uh, it's definitely good to hear back from you and I uh, hope everything's going okay and that uh, Albuquerque is still in New Mexico. So yeah, Oh shoot, the they case. were talking about moving, weren't they? Well, they moved El Paso to Illinois. That's true. Or is that a second El Paso? You know what? I think that might be a, a different El Paso that's in Illinois. No, there's not going to be a second El Paso. It would be called Un Paso. Un Paso? Because ah, if okay. it's El Paso, there could only be one Paso. Well, you got me there. I mean, it's definite article, you know? Uh, anyway, are you, are back, sure? to, uh, back to uh, Chris Plus Plus. I have never seen Ladybug on the Intellivision. Uh, do, do, does it kind of was it was his uh, assessment of Raggedy Ann on Intellivision kind of uh, accurate? You think? Do you know? Well, you know what is interesting. You bring that up, and uh, what is today? The seventeenth on the fifteenth of April of twenty twenty one. Uh, the video game critic actually reviewed Ladybug on the Intellivision, and um, it's actually pretty good. I've played it. Ladybug isn't necessarily always my one of my go-to games but uh, i do have a decent time when i play but uh yeah in fact the video game critic gave it a grade of an a minus and uh what are his little uh, icons here it's a hidden gem hottie alert okay Uh. (laughs) um ladybug looks like your typical or you never get you navigate ever changing corners while collecting access and you're controlling an actual ladybug which is a far cry from the stripper on the instructions okay ah oh yeah and he's got another icon here may contain eggplants interesting i love his little uh icons on his reviews because sometimes they're kind of uh pointless like the may contain eggplant so yeah check that out 
And one thing I'm curious, and I hope Chris can uh, clarify this for me, unless I missed it, but he talked about how he was using an Amiga 2500 for 15 years. 15 years. I had... Let's just say that I own three Amigas, two original generation, one new generation that ran on a mm. PowerPC chip, basically the G3 that the original iMac ran on. And the total that I had those was 13 years. And mm-hmm. I got my uh, first Amiga at the near the beginning of two, uh, I know, not two, 1993. So I'm curious as to how early Chris had gotten into the Amiga. Because that would be interesting, especially with the 2500, because that tells me that. He wouldn't have upgraded to an AGA machine with better graphics, but that that's interesting. Uh, me being a uh, an Amiga agnostic, um, and I can't comment. Well, I know nothing about it. And I think he's right about that. Good Lord, 20 years on Atari, because I'm pretty sure it was around 2001 when I signed up. I don't even remember when I signed up. And you must have signed up before I did, because you told me about Atari age. Well, let's find out. There's an easy way to find this out. <laughs> what looking at your looking at your profile jo- oh joined february 19th 2002 so 19 years yeah i'm may 19th wait what uh joined oh yeah may 19th 2001 so i'm yeah. almost a full 20 years wow wow and that wasn't too far after they uh changed from the tw- what was it 2600 nexus and they totally upgraded the site and all in uh uh, tell our, I'm going to tell our listeners that if you're not on Atari Age, uh, create an account there. It is such a community. It's one of the best online communities I've ever been a part of. Might be the best I've ever been a part of. Oh, I've been I've been on there longer than Chris Plus Plus. He's only been there since um, ooh, uh, two thousand April twenty fourth two thousand two. Okay, I just saw this on in the twenty six hundred forum on Atari Age. They're doing a sequel to Boulder Dash on the twenty six hundred. Oh, really? Uh, by Andrew Davey, who did the original. And, hmm, interesting. Uh, interesting. So he's obviously got the rights to do it. Otherwise, he wouldn't be experimenting. Yeah. And he's there's still got a plan of he's still got a plan to re, re-release the first Boulder Dash. And while we're talking about Chris Plus Plus's feedback, I don't know if you noticed this, but he is the only person we heard from with their top ten arcade games to have Defender on the list. That was interesting. I can sort of understand that because Defender, the control scheme is just too complicated. The control scheme, oh yeah, but it's the same control scheme as Stargate, though, which he also has on his list. And Stargate's got one additional button, and uh, yeah. I, but I can understand why people wouldn't put that on there. And the thing is, I know people who don't like Defender but like Stargate. Truth be told, I far preferred Defender over the third game in that series, which is called Strike Force. And that mm-hmm. game really uh, eased the controls up. You no longer had a reverse and thrust button. It's just been replaced with an eight-way joystick. Mm-hmm. But the game just... They tried to go smash TV on the Defender formula, and ah. as far as I'm concerned, it just did not work. I see what you're saying. Get what you're saying, actually. Yeah. So, um, yeah. If you really want to play something that's uh, like Defender without all of the controls, Choplifter. Hmm. Because Choplifter is basically Defender with the helicopter. Mm. Oh, and uh, Chris Plus Plus pointed out how in the Pac-Man games, you don't really get any kind of natural consequences for gluttony. Like, you can eat all you want. You don't gain any weight or anything like that. I want to recommend to Chris Plus Plus and anybody else who's interested in the Pac-Man type games, if you can, look into Clean Sweep on the Vectrex. It's the same concept, except... 
you're controlling a vacuum cleaner and the vacuum cleaner does get full and you have to empty it from time to time. Oh, I can't find the clip anywhere. Years back when uh, David Letterman uh, was on uh, NBC. Oh, you like Letterman? Oh, I do. Uh, Right after the show, the first couple of seasons, I don't remember what the bit was, but uh, he hit the... They showed a video game, Pac-Man versus Stomach Flu. <laughs> and I cannot find a clip of this anywhere, and I know I saw it. No, you know what? I want to find a clip on. I've never seen it, but I only heard it. I heard people talk about it. Apparently on hmm. SNL, there is a video game called Puke Man, and it was basically just Pac-Man backwards. And if I put in Pac-Man Stomach Flu, I get a whole bunch of stuff about estro- gastroenteritis. Hmm. Well, that's the uh, common name of uh, gastroenteritis, I guess that word. It's called Pac-Man stomach flu. Oh, well, You had me back us up on that. He's a uh, yeah, endocrinologist. Yeah, he, he is a doctor. He, yeah. Well, then again, he's not, a G- he's not a gastroenterologist, though, so I don't know if he can back us up, though. But So, thank you. Are, are we done with his... his uh, unless his... you have anything further to respond to. No, I really don't have anything further to respond. Just uh, thank you for all the nice things that you've yes. uh, said about us. And... Um, I feel a little umbled. Umbled, so, indeed. Humbled. What we got? A healthy age. We we got another uh, feedback from a listener. Uh, oh, and it says uh, this is for. Oh, by the way, uh, this kind of flashes back to Adenda and Arata as well. Okay. And that we neither one of us knew how to pronounce this gentleman's name. Mm-hmm. It's the latest addition to our Patreon supporters, Daniel, who I accidentally called it David. <laughs> C-H-A-V-E-S. Chavez. Chavez? It's like either Chavez or Chavez. It was hard to tell for sure. But it's Portuguese for keys. Oh. So there we go. I think we were going kind of more on the uh, Spanish translation. So the Florida Chavez. Florida Chavez. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway, he says, hi, Jim and Sean, recent Patreon supporter. Indeed, yes. Uh, I finally listened to, oh my goodness, I finally listened to every single episode over yep. the course of the pandemic. We apologize, Daniel. <laughs> uh, this podcast has been a constant companion while working as an essential worker. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Daniel, for all you do. Thank you. Uh, one thing that I took away from your podcast that blew my mind was finding out that one of my friends that before the pandemic would come over every week to play dominoes, was one of the creators of Cubert's Bang Bang Bang. That's insane. Warren Davis. (laughs) I did not know this. So in passing, I asked him, and he was like, oh yeah, I worked on that game. (laughs) So I had him sign my tiny arcade Cubert as a cool little keepsake. So thanks for that bit of info. Well, thank you for that bit of info. Uh, Yeah, okay. I think Daniel lives in the greater metropolitan. I hope I'm not outing anybody. He lives in the greater metropolitan, like, Southern California area. Uh-huh. And that doesn't surprise me that, well, actually it should, because that's a huge metro area. But Warren, Warren Davis, Davis is from the Chicago area. Yeah, but Warren Davis went out to Hollywood to try to become an actor. Oh, that's right. He did, didn't he? Yeah. So that's, I mean, yeah, it should be surprising given how many millions of people out there, but that's... There's an explanation for that, I should say. <laughs> but anyway, going back to what Daniel says, he says, my top 10 basement slash desert island arcade list would consist of uh, Pac-Man, the very first arcade game I ever played when I was nine years old. My dad bought a restaurant that came with that machine. Huh. Quickly sold the restaurant, but kept Pac-Man and Buck Rogers pinball. I played Pac-Man almost daily in my family garage. Oh my God, what a lucky kid he was. Oh. 
Uh, what else does he say? The sound of Pac-Man always makes me feel good when I hear it. Uh, his next one, he says, Soul Calibur. I do not know that game at all. Uh, Soul Calibur 2, I'm sorry. He says, I know it's a more modern arcade game and it's a fighter, but I spent much of my college tuition playing that game. So it has a special place for me. <laughs> yeah, forget going to school. I'm going to play Soul Calibur 2. <laughs> uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 2, New Age of Heroes. Hmm. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Simpsons, Arrow Fighters, Donkey Kong, Tron, mostly because it is one of the most visually gorgeous cabinets ever. Oh, God, yes, it is. Time Crisis 2 and Frogger. Honorable mentions, Spy Hunter, Outrun, and Metal Slug X. Or is it Metal Slug 10? Hmm. I think it's Metal Slug X. Uh, that was a hard list to make. So many great choices and classics out there. I am fortunate to have a bonus room that I built a dedicated home theater in. Oh, sweet. And the lounge area has a pool table. A two-player multi-kid that I built, which is expandable to four players with Bluetooth 8-bit dough controllers, which I, too, absolutely love and highly recommend. And a full-motion racing you. sim. Oh, and Sean, you can order theatrical-grade popcorn for personal use. Holy sh... Ooh, personal Schnikes. use through Amazon. They come in pre-made two-ounce, four-ounce, and larger packets with the flavoring and oil. That is what I use for my popcorn machine, and I get that AMC popcorn taste. And he puts a link to it, and I will also share that link with the rest of the world. Love the show, and now that I'm all caught up, I have to eagerly wait for new episodes to come out. Keep up the great and entertaining work. Thank you so much, uh, Daniel. Daniel. Your name is right in freak in front of me, and I couldn't remember it. Good grief. So, yeah, that is that is so cool. Oh, man. I wish I would have known this because I was about 100 miles south of him for a few days, and I would have rented a car just to say, hey, let me in that home theater. <laughs> I'll keep my mask on. Yes. But, wow, that is that is so cool to hear. And the thing is, I feel bad now because there are so many games that Daniel mentioned that we haven't even thought of talking about yet. And yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, okay, these are the kind of games he likes. Are we disappointing him? I don't, I mean, yeah, n not everybody's going to be happy with everything, but, you know, I still don't like to disappoint. No, it just comes naturally. Yeah, of course. Arrow Fighters, I think I, I think they have that under, underground retrocade. I'll have to check it out. From what I saw from when I glanced over to it, it might be something along the lines of the 1940 series, uh, mm -hmm. like something similar to that. I don't know Soul, I do not know Soul Calibur. Um, I've heard of Metal Slug, but I, I think, is that one of those bullet hell games? Metal Slug, it's like a bullet hellish cartoony take on Contra. Ah, okay. And then this weird, this one that I never heard of, uh, Donkey Kong. Hmm. wonder what that Donkey one's about. Thanks for uh, emailing Thank us and anybody else who wishes to email us. Uh, there's a contact form on our website, but you can also uh, send an email to piefactory at fab4it.com. .com. That's F-A-B number four, it.com. .com. And uh, yeah, we're also on various social media platforms as well. So well, by various, I mean Facebook and Twitter. So yeah. Uh, so there we go. Indeed, and we do go there. We do have an email from Eugenio to finish up, but oh, uh, really? we're going to save that for later. Okay. And I think with that, we uh, have a couple of games we need to talk about. Oh, do tell. So, uh, it's been a while since we've actually had an episode where we just actually specifically talked about a game. Yeah. So, uh, 
Sean, why don't we go with uh, why don't we go with the Kung Fu Master first? Kung Fu Master, ooh hoo hoo, Kung Fu Master, yes, indeedly doodly. Uh, that is a game that was released in 1984 by IREM. We're probably pronounced IREM. I think only in America it's pr- it would be pronounced IREM. And uh, uh, imagine IREM. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's true. And. Yeah, our friend Bill has said that he has a, a hard time pronouncing Imagic. Mm-hmm. He, he said that out loud. He's like, I just can't pronounce this thing. Because he's always like, is it I-Magic? Is it E-Magic? Pretend it's the word imagine, but instead of the N sound, say K-k-k. So, Imagic. There you go. That's actually a good idea. Imagic. And how do I know that? Simply from the commercials. Atlantis by Imagic is for Atari. But this is not about Imagic. This is about Irem, specifically Kung Fu Master. By the way, there is a hyphen in the name of Kung Fu Master. There is another game called Kung Fu Master without a hyphen. It is like one of those stand-up bar games kind of thing. It's not a, mm. ar- an arcade video game. It was produced by uh, Namco, but this one was produced by Irem and distributed in North America by Data East. So, um, yeah, it was designed by Takashi Nishiyama. And the music, and this is interesting, um, I just found this fascinating. The music is by Masato Ishizaki. And I found a few tidbits about him. Uh, he started playing guitar in middle school, and he was pursuing a career in music, but somehow he ended up in a job interview as a software developer at IREM, 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 whatever, because he couldn't find a job anywhere else. They asked him, hey, do you do any software development by any chance? And he's like, no. But they hired him to compose music, despite the fact that he had no experience composing music. But the reason they offered him the job was because he could improvise on guitar. Hmm. It's interesting how people end up working at video game companies, because I know that Jeff Lee over at uh, uh, Gottlieb slash Rat Slime I don't know if he ever considered, I don't remember if he said he ever considered video games, but he, he's an artist and that's how mm-hmm. he ended up there. Uh, Brian Colin too. That's how he ended up at Midway because he's an artist. Cullen. Yeah. And, uh, Irem was one of those video game companies that would not allow their staffers to be credited. And so they all had to use nicknames. So Masato Ishizaki chose the alias S clap. The S he took from the last letter of blues, which is his favorite genre of music. Mm-hmm. And the clap comes from Clapton. <laughs> and the clap part of his name, his alias, oh, okay. comes from Clapton. Sure, we want to all know where the clap yeah, comes from. Yeah, it comes from. from Clapton. Yeah. If you want to know where the clap comes from, look at Eric Clapton. And uh, another fun fact about Masato Ishizaki is that he would later do the music for our type. So, uh, when we eventually get around to talking about our type, a game I have never played, by the way, <laughs> we will probably be mentioning Masato Ishizaki again. But for now, uh, I'm just going to mention that Kung Fu Master is one of the first side-scrolling beat-em-ups. Possibly the first side-scrolling beat-em-up. And I'm not going to call it a fight and go right, because you have to go left for some parts of the game and right for other parts of the game. Uh, First, I'm going to talk about the control panel. The control panel consists of an ambidextrous... Ambidextrous? No. Uh, Ambidextrous is an adjective. And adjectives. Good grief. I cannot speak grammar today. (laughs) Ambidextrous bat-shaped joystick. There you go. You move up to jump, down to crouch... Left and right to go left and right. And uh, you have two action buttons on each side. The inner buttons are for punching. The outer buttons are for kicking. 
And you can use those buttons in combination with the joystick if you want to do some fancy moves, such as a sweep, in which you pull the joystick down, you press kick. If you want to do a high kick, you press up on the joystick and hit the kick button. So there you go. Um, as for the gameplay, well, I'm going to actually read you the on-screen instructions that explain the gameplay. All right? Is everybody okay, ready? let's do this. So, let me see. First, I must find them. <laughs> A kung fu master, Thomas and Sylvia, were suddenly attacked by several unknown guys. There's a missing comma there. There should have been a comma after Sylvia. Because the way it's written, you're addressing a kung fu master. You're saying, hey, kung fu master, listen to me. Thomas and Sylvia were suddenly attacked by several unknown guys. Uh, anyway, um, I'm not here to critique. Yes, I am here to critique grammar. Of course I am. Critique your own grammar. Next, there are some more words that pop up on the screen in parentheses. Sylvia was kidnapped by Sylvia. them. So, we all following? So far. Next, it says, later Thomas found a letter from X. He is an inhabitant of the Devil's Temple. And so, next you see the actual letter. Your love, Sylvia, is in custody now. If you want to save your dear Sylvia's life, come to the Devil's Temple at once. Five sons of the Devil will entertain you. Hmm. So we get to see a show. That's, this is awesome. Hello, my baby. Hello, my da Oh, okay. Continue. Mm. So that's uh, how the game explains it to you. With uh, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I, I got to speak out. I would have like edited that text, made it a little bit more flowy. But hey, that's just this guy over here. Flowing. As for the gameplay itself, it takes place in a five-story spaghetti. Five-story spectacular! Oh. Five-story spaghetti! No, five-story pagoda. Specifically, it is supposed to be the Biapjusa Buddhist Temple in Chungcheong Bukdo, South Korea. This is a real place that the game takes place oh, in. Dude. It actually exists. You can go there. So, um... The first level, uh, you're starting from the right side of the screen, and you have to move all the way over to the left. And, uh, well, not just the screen, because it scrolls. Or crawls, actually, because left yes, and right, you yes, crawl. Yes, 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 yes. But anyway, you have to beat up a series of attackers, and they look like Ringo Starr from the film Yellow Submarine. They're called grippers, and they're so-called grippers because they can actually grab you and hold on to you and suck a little bit of your life out of you, your energy. Uh, there's an energy meter at the top of the screen, uh, an energy meter for you, and when you get to a boss character, there's uh, an energy meter for the boss character. But anyway, you want to get rid of those grippers. You can knock them out in one hit. You'll also encounter knife throwers every now and then, and they obviously throw knives at you, and you have to duck or jump to avoid them. And you need to hit them twice to kill them. And uh, what else? Oh, yes. At the end of the floor, all the way to the left, you will encounter a boss character who looks kind of like Seymour Skinner. Seymour. And uh, he is called a stick fighter. Your job is to defeat him and then go up the stairs to the second floor and you get 2,000 points for defeating him. Then on the second floor, this time you're heading right. You're bombarded by falling objects such as confetti balls and vases. Eh, okay, are they vases or vases? Uh, I don't know. I'm just curious if there's a treatment for confetti balls. Hey, I think it's an advanced stage of beer nuts. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Because, okay, here's the thing. According to my late father-in-law, it's a vase if it's under $10. Otherwise, it's a vase. Yeah? What you see in the screen, would you consider those things worth more than $10? I'll say no. I'll say no. They look like they're kind of like a paper lamp. 
Okay, yeah, and the thing is, like, it's a Buddhist temple. I don't know how they do things in South Korea, but at least in our country, they don't get taxed, but at the same time, they're relying on funds from uh, the people who go there. So I'm going to assume they're not going to spend a lot of money, so they're vases. Okay. So there we go. And sometimes small dragons will just suddenly appear out of clouds uh, every now and then, sometimes from the falling objects. And, of course, you have to watch out for snakes. Watch out for what? Watch out for snakes. Also, there are some... uh, there are these boys that come out called Tom Toms, and uh, they can actually jump over you too. But you have to get rid of them. You have to knock them out, and of course, you get some more Ringo people coming out after so you. So, are we going to put in a? We've already mentioned Ringo. Are we going to put in a, uh, a a nod to the band, the Tom Tom Club? But it's interesting that the uh, character looks like a drummer, and the little kids are called Tom Toms. Interesting. But uh, when you get all the way to the right on this level, you'll encounter the boomerang fighter, so-called because he can throw boomerangs at you. Defeat him, you get 3,000 points, then you climb the stairs to get to the third floor. And on the third floor, you're once again heading to the left. And you get more of those Ringo people, and you get some knife throwers and some tom-toms. And when you get over to the end of the level, you have the giant. And uh, the giant looks like Mr. Clean, but let me tell you this. Most likely, that giant is supposed to represent Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh. And I will discuss that a little bit more later. But uh, you get 3,000 points for defeating the giant, and then, of course, you move to the fourth floor, which becomes, again, a fight and go right. Now, this time, pretty much your only enemies are going to be these poisonous moths. Okay, are they poisonous moths or are they venomous moths? The world may never know. Hmm. Uh, the boss is a black magician. Uh, he was actually Caucasian looking, but he looks kind of like a rumpled middle-aged guy in a business suit. And he constantly disappears and reappears in a puff of smoke. Uh, sometimes another one appears right behind you, so you're surrounded by two of them. And from what I can tell, the only way to defeat the magician is to walk up as closely as humanly possible and repeatedly punch him in the chest. And when you eventually do get rid of him, you uh, get 5,000 points. Nice. And then you get to the fifth floor, you go left. Again, you have Ringo and the Tom Toms. Uh, the boss character is Mr. X, and I'll get back to why he is called Mr. X in a little bit. And for this level, when you get to Mr. X, you're basically, it, became, it becomes a game of Mortal Kombat, really. You're just basically fighting against him. And thing is, this guy's hit points replenish pretty quickly, so you got to beat him up as oh, fast as possible yeah oh yeah the boss character's points replenish but mr x is replenished like more quickly than the rest that's of them. different than most games yeah now here's something that i find interesting you're inside a pagoda and when you're going from the first level to the second to the third to the fourth the floors get progressively shorter reflecting the shape of a pagoda yet the fifth floor appears to be the longest and if you look at a picture of this actual temple the fifth floor should be the shortest. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Doesn't make much sense, but when you eventually beat Mr. X, you get 10,000 points. And then you get a message on screen that says, A Kung Fu master, Thomas and Sylvia, enjoyed happiness again for a little while. And there's like a little animation of them hugging with little hearts and stuff. And then you're told, but their happy days did not last long. And why did it not last long? Well, because she gets kidnapped all over again, and you start all over again from the first floor of the pagoda and repeat that process ad infinitum. So, that's the game. 
That's the game. Uh, yeah. And that's the way it was. Something something 1984. Wasn't able to get an exact date, so like, we can't do the whole Walter Cronkite thing. Sorry. Now, going back to uh, some things I mentioned before. For example, this um, whole Kareem Abdul-Jabbar thing. The reason that that was based on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is supposedly this game... One of the Conan movies? No. Oh. Kung Fu Master was supposedly originally based on the movie Game of Death. Are you familiar with that movie? I am not. It is the last movie that Bruce Lee ever made. Oh. And he died before that movie was finished. So to capitalize on Bruce Lee and the footage they actually had... The uh, studio actually finished that movie using existing footage, and they hired a new actor to take over. And how do they explain suddenly having this new guy as the star? They incorporated Bruce Lee's actual funeral into the movie. Oh, wow. And and there's a point where you actually see his dead body in the movie. Now, the explanation... freaking morbid. Yeah. The explanation was, oh, yeah, he faked his own death so that he could basically go in disguise and uh, find the people who tried to murder him. So that, that, that's just a creepy little way to finish a movie. But there is a fight scene in the movie with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So that is a possible explanation as to why the giant is supposed to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So question here, is Hyde going to drop in a clip from the movie Airplane? Oh, I hope so. I'm sorry, son, but you must have me confused with someone else. Speaking of uh, Game of Death, this game actually ended up being a tie-in to the Jackie Chan movie Wheels on Meals, which in Japan was called Spartan X. And by the way, you know what Kung Fu Master was actually called in Japan? What might that be? Well, it might be called Spartan X. In fact, it was called Spartan X in Japan, which is why that character's name is X. So there you go. Uh-huh. Um, I should talk a little bit about scoring. Um, scoring is a little bit much to keep track of, but uh, with the grippers, the Ringo Star people, uh, you get 100 points for kicking them. That is a standard kick. Uh, if you punch or jump kick them, you get 200 points. The Tom Toms, if you do a standard kick, you get 200 points. If you punch or jump kick them, you get 300 points. But the thing is, I don't know how it's possible to jump kick them because they're so short. But if uh, you knock out an airborne tom-tom, you get 400 points. Knife throwers, you get 500 points if you kick them to death, 800 if you punch them to death, and 1,000 if you jump kick them to death. Uh, You kill a dragon, you get 2,000 points. You destroy a confetti ball, you get 1,000 points. You destroy a vase, you get 200 points if you kick it, 100 points if you punch it. Poisonous moths or venomous moths, whatever. 500 points if you kick them, 600 points if you punch them. And you do get a bonus for remaining time because every level has a timer. The timer starts at 2,000, and however much time you have left on it, uh, that's what your bonus is. Uh, it's not 2,000 seconds or, milli- or mi- half seconds or whatever. I don't know what the unit is, but it's definitely faster than seconds, that's for sure. So yeah, that's uh, that's really the game right there. Um, there are some home versions. There is a home version of Kung Fu Master for the NES, and it was designed by Shigeru Miyamoto, by the way. Mm-hmm. Game Boy has has Kung Fu Master. The Atari 2600 and 7800 have Kung Fu Master. Commodore 64, in fact, Kung Fu Master was one of the top five selling Commodore 64 games of 1986. Oh, MSX had it, as did the Amstrad CPC and ZX Spectrum. 
We also like to mention sequels, and there was a sequel to Kung Fu Master, and it was called Spartan X2, and that was released in Japan on September 27th, 1991. It was supposed to be released in North America under the title of Mm -hmm. Kung Fu 2, but alas, it remained unreleased in North America until 2016, at which point it was released as Kung Fu Master 2, which was a built-in game in the RetroBit Generations console. Have you ever used one of those things or seen one of those things? I have not, actually. I have heard of it. I'm trying to think, and I've heard of it before. I'm not terribly familiar. But um, in the sequel... The character's name is Johnny Thomas. I don't know if it's the same Thomas as from the first game or what, or if it's a different guy. But this time around, your character is fighting against a drug syndicate, and he goes through six different levels in different buildings. And all the fun that you can imagine from Kung Fu Master certainly is there for Kung Fu Master 2 or Spartan X2. Now, we often like to talk about where we first saw or played Kung Fu Master. Uh, how about you? Mm-hmm. How about you, Jimmy G? Where did you first saw or play? And it's interesting that we talk about where we first saw or played Kung Fu Master in every episode of the podcast that we've ever done. It's just a common theme, you know, from from then until now. Of course, but, uh, yeah. But uh, going to come as no surprise, the Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall. Really? Yep. I, I just don't see you as a Kung Fu Master playing kind of person. Yep, I've played it uh, a couple of times. Um, I prefer a specific one of the home ports more, but, uh, yeah, I've played it there. Yeah. I've never played the arcade version outside of MAME to be quite honest with you. Cause yeah, if, if it's a game about martial arts, I'm automatically not going to play it because it's just not mm-hmm. my thing. But the thing is, I do seem to remember playing it on the Atari 7800 back when uh, Phil was doing the Atari 7800 game by game podcast, wanted to play it to see what it was like. But mm-hmm. I think that was about it. Uh, tw- I had never heard of it being on the 2600, so I looked it up and I saw some gameplay on YouTube. It's It looks really good on the 2600. They did a really good job of yeah, it. Yeah, it that. looks really good yeah. on it. Yes, it so does. I, ga- I got to say, it's like almost the quality of the arcade game. but At least looks-wise. Yeah. Play-wise, the control leaves a little be desired, but it's still not terrible. Yeah, like, I, I don't know how they get off like having two different actions with only one action button or fire button or whatever. But, hey, I'm not going to play it. because so, Mostly because I, th- I think that Circus Convoy is going to be, like, welded into my cartridge slot. So, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, uh, I'd like to talk about high scores. Uh, according to Twin high Galaxies, scores. Mike Sullivan has their record with a score of 1,349,040, which was submitted to Twin Galaxies on June 30th, 1986, and verified by referee. That's not really a shocking score, because you you can uh, score pretty high in this game pretty early. Not like those Sega games where you get a million points just for lasting more than three seconds, but, you know, it's still <laughs> a de- you'd still get rack up a lot of points pretty quickly. Hi, you put a quarter in the machine? Here's 10 million points. Yeah. Uh, Orcade.com, A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com, actually has two different tracks. The one track, Three Lives Normal Difficulty. Uh, Roosevelt Cocroft has that high score of 537,510 performed April 28th, 2018. Ooh, possibly the third anniversary of the release date of this episode, depending on how fast Hyde works. And uh, the other track is Four Lives Hard Difficulty, and that record is held by Patrick Scott Patterson. Now, Here's the difference here between hard difficulty with more lives and normal difficulty with fewer lives. Patrick Scott Patterson didn't quite reach the half a million points that Roosevelt Cocroft did. 
he only got 94,910 on November 12, 2016. So, yeah. So, Jimmy G, your thoughts on Kung Fu Master? This is a game I really, really want to like. The controls are for this style of game seem to be kind of simple, but it's just when you get a bunch of the guys in the, the light blue with the purplish, bluish vest with their hand up coming toward you and you get a bunch of them on you, that drains your your oh, yeah. your health like really fast. And I mean, you could do a jump kick to get rid of them, but it's it can be frustrating. Uh, I, it's rare when I get past the first floor. Um, yeah. well, I won't say it's rare when I get past the first floor. It's rare when I get past the second one, but... Yeah, it's it looks deceptively easy, I think, is where I'm going with this. Yeah, I, I actually watched a YouTube uh, a run-through of it, and I was like, oh, this doesn't look too bad. and Because th- mm-hmm. whoever was playing it made it look so freaking easy. It is not. No, not at all. Yeah, it's one of those games I don't hate. I will play it every now and then. I really loved the version on the NES. I got really pretty good at that one. But uh, I'm going to just, you know what? I'm going to give my rating. I'm going to rate this one a three. Okay. How about you? I'm going to say two. Okay. The thing is, like, I got I got really bored with it, and I especially got annoyed about how impossible it seemed. I was like you. I couldn't get past the second level. Uh, I actually had to turn the cheats on just to see, like, how the, how the play was and what everything looked like. I mean, yeah, I could have looked it up on, on YouTube, but, you know, I wanted to f- see what it was like to do it myself, and it was not fun. And, yeah, I, I can't see myself going back. I, I wouldn't say it's low enough to get a one it's it's not that bad i mean i think it's more just my own personal preferences affecting it and i don't want to have my personal preferences just Mm -hmm. shoot it all the way down to a one but it just says something when i was not having fun playing this game but i was getting fascinated when researching it though now when, when you find out all these interesting facts and that's more fun than actually playing the game there's a problem right so yeah it's yeah two continues out of five for me so, yeah. So, uh, with that, I think we're going to move on to oh, the next game. Oh, you know what? Game, also, huh? another thing I had to say. The game, is, at least in America, it's called Kung Fu Master. So, it gives you the thought that the focus is going to be on Kung Fu. It is not. The focus is on just beating people up and rescuing this girl. It's kind of like those Play Ricks games, or whatever the heck that, co- that company is called, that advertises uh, uh, these little puzzle things. Oh, help. Uh, this mustache guy get to such and such a point by uh, moving these obstacles. You download the game, it's freaking candy swipe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those things that were advertised were just like, well, candy swipe is the game that Candy Crush ripped off. Oh, is yes. it? Yeah. And when the original creator of Candy Swipe spoke out about that, they sent the Candy Crush people sent their lawyers after him and said, you're, you're not going to say a damn thing or else we're suing your ass. Really? Off. Yep. Yep. Wow. That's news to me. Yeah, but anyway, well, I'm glad I don't glad I don't play Candy Crush. But it, it, I, I kind of got that vibe from this game. It's like misleading. But then when I read the history of it, and that it was only called Kung Fu Master over here, it's like, oh, okay, I see what they did. There's it's the American titling that it's Data East that basically misleads us here. It's not the fault of Irem, mm-hmm. Irem, whatever they're called. So anyway, Jimmy G, what are your thoughts now on what to do next? Well, I think my thoughts is we should probably talk about another game. Okay. Let's talk about Double Dragon. Double Dragon. Let's yeet Double Dragon. No, yeet means toss out. Let's talk about Double Dragon instead. So Double Dragon was released in August of 1987 by the company of Technos. I believe it was also released in other locales by Taito, but I could not confirm that one way or the other. Uh, Actually, I did see it somewhere, but I forgot to write it 
down. So I'll just say I haven't been able to confirm it. So it's a, it's a two-player simultaneous game. You have a couple of joysticks and three buttons per player. One is a jump, one's a punch, one's a kick. So you can play the game as either Billy or Bimmy, I mean, Jimmy Lee. The object is to save Marion from the evil Willie. Okay, good night, everybody. <laughs> we should get William Culver to, to, <laughs> to say something there. <laughs> the evil Willie by fighting. <laughs> so anyway, save Marion from the evil Willie by fighting and going right. It's a fight and go right. And I guess it goes up a little bit too, but mostly right. Sure. And along the way, you'll have to face the Black Warriors who are... Uh, a guy named Williams, who's a punk wearing a tank top, and uh, he can body blow to the stomach, and he can body blow carry such things as baseball bats, knives, and dynamite. And uh, then there's Zap Rauper. I mean, not Zap. It's just Rauper, another punk who wears matching pants and a shirtless vest, and he's basically the same as Williams, but he can also lift and throw heavy objects like rocks and uh, barrels, that sort of thing. And then there's Linda. La, la, la. She's another female punk. Wow, these notes. Uh, who she usually carries. She's a kitten with a whip. Oh, um, she doesn't have much health. She have a couple of hits. She can go down pretty fast. Good night, everybody. Stop. Reverse that. Uh, she can die very faster than the other characters, and she can't be placed into a headlock. Then there's a bobo. Which ever have jalapenos in a bobo sauce? Oh gosh, it's not a jalapeno. Yeah, I, I um, can't do jalapeno. I, peppers yeah. look like oh, snot gosh. to in me. A bobo, I can't eat them. Mm, a bobo, bobo sauce. Oh, that's so good. But it's um, a tall, tall, muscular, bald guy. He's my he's my least favorite character in this game because if you get next to him, he can pick you up and body slam you, pick you up again and body and uh, do it several times before you can land a punch. And I hate that. Uh, then you got a couple of bosses, and finally, final boss is Willie. Bonjour, you cheese-eating surrender monkeys. The game's final. That would be so fun if it really the final boss was groundskeeper. Willie, <laughs> <laughs> um, he's armed with a machine gun. So along the way, you can pick up stuff like baseball bats and knives to use to protect yourself. Uh, I believe each of the stages are timed, so you have to get through to a certain amount of time. Pretty much like every fight and go right, you'll stop after a while, beat some people up. Then you'll get like an arrow or a thumb saying continue or whatever to go on. It's that style of game. So that's basically in a nutshell what this is. It's very, very popular in the arcade. Um, This game I found a lot of trivia about, but (laughs) I had to whittle it down to a few different things here. The game is so ambitious that the hardware it was built on. How ambitious is it? Well, I'll tell you. That the hardware cannot handle everything on the screen at at certain times, hmm. meaning the game will slow down every now and then. The three uh, kanji characters on the title screen means Twin Interception Dragon. Hmm. So that's fun. The Lee brothers, and along with a couple of other characters, were named after the three main heroes from a 1973 Bruce Lee film, Enter the Dragon. Uh-huh. Wow, another Bruce Lee. Ooh, secondary, yep. uh, secondary <laughs> theme. The game contained a number of bugs, uh, most of which were never fixed. And one of the best-known ones is that uh, the enemies will never attack the player from the back. Hmm. So if it comes up behind you, they'll go up and around, then turn around and face you. So if they come up behind you, you just do an elbow to the jaw, and uh, they'll uh, they'll go down. Interesting. So um, there was a couple of soundtracks released for it. A pollen music 
released a limited edition soundtrack album for the game on both uh, tape and CD, and Cytron released a limited edition soundtrack for the game as well. That one was in 2006. The first one was in 1988. There was a live-action Double Dragon movie, which is very very roundly considered a a pretty bad movie, although I do remember it was either Siskel or Ebert said that one thing they did actually like about the movie was the visual style. Not the visual style, the... uh, it was like the, the depiction of future Los Angeles, where all of the uh, all of the buildings were like up on like on uh, jacks to jack them up above the to jack them up. They've already been jacked up, and and that. But uh, yeah, so it is I've never seen it. I've wanted to see it. The only two people of note in the movie are Alyssa Milano as Marion Marion and Robert Patrick. Yes, the T one thousand as the villain Koga Shuko. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, and a Double Dragon arcade game appears in the movie. Oh, Meta! Of course. And, of course, there was a limited TV series produced by Dick Entertainment and Bobot Entertainment, which, yeah, two 13-episode seasons in 1993 and 1994. Hmm. Now, there are a couple of sequels in the arcade, Double Dragon 2, The Revenge, and Double Dragon 3, The Rosetta Stone. And as far as ports go, I, couldn't, I didn't see any uh, home computer ones, although I'm sure there were. But um, there was on the Nintendo Entertainment System, which is derisively called Single Dragon because you cannot play two people at the same time. Yeah, which is, that's just dumb. That's stupid. I mean, I get what they're going for, but it's called Double Dragon. Hmm. And you'd think they'd at least put the option for two-player in there, but, you know, oh well. The Sega Master System, which I actually did own way back when, and uh, I had a lot of fun with that one. And then uh, the Atari 7800. And surprisingly, the Atari 2600. Yeah. And uh, the 2600 version gets a lot of derision for its controls. It really looks really good. Uh, you can kind of tell what they were going for. But uh, yeah, it gets, it was too complicated of a control scheme for the system. But um, oh, one thing I did forget to mention, I did say it was a two-player at the same time. If both players make it to the end screen and you fight and you kill the boss... You have to fight each other to oh, win the yes. affections of Marion. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing how many of these video games from back then were sexist. <laughs> is it really but, when you uh, think about the times? Well, compared to today, it is, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that, in a nutshell, is Enter the Double Dragon. Indeed. Uh, Enter the Dragon. I mean, the, the, the double, double Dragon. So would Double Dragon 2 be... Quadruple Dragon, actually, in Double Dragon 3, it would be, uh, what is it, sex, Sextuple Dragon? Sextuple. Or if if those are exponents and you're talking, that would be Octuple Dragon. Oh, that's dragon. true. Yeah, that's like, Is true. it a small three that. or a regular size three? It's a regular size three. Okay, then it'd be six. It'd be Sextuple Dragon. And actually, Double Dragon 2, is it's not the number two, it's the Roman numeral, so it would be Double Dragon IV. IV? Yeah. How, since in what Roman universe is IV2? Double Dragon 2. If it's double Dragon and it's 2, 2 times 2. And if it's in Romans, it would be IV. Oh, be did four. you know that in most analog clocks that use Roman numerals, it doesn't say IV for 4. It says IIII most of the time. You want to know? I think I have noticed that before, especially in older clocks. Yeah. And I don't think there's any, anybody's ever come up with the definitive answer as to why that is. Hmm. The more you know, or the, the less you know. Exactly. It's, it's less of this time, because we don't know why. 
Yeah, so let's uh, let's bring this podcast to a screeching halt. Again. Uh, again. And uh, Sean, uh, tell us about some scores. Oh, indeed. Uh, both Twin Galaxies and Orcade.com, again, A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com, track both single player and two player. Here's the thing. On Orcade.com, they don't have any scores in the two player track. So next person who can uh, have an Orcade.com referee verify a two player score on Double Dragon, the Taito version that is, mm-hmm. you're going to have the Orcade.com record. But for nice. a single-player game, it's Kevin Clem, who on September 17th, 2014, scored 154,620. And if we move over to Twin Galaxies, we see that on January 17th, 2019, Dennis Edmonds can turn a sky blue scored 533,480. Two-player version, though? This person has some weird, funky symbols in his first name. I don't know if he did that on purpose or if it's just uh, uh, the way that it translated special characters, but his last name is Pastorel, and playing with Regis Martzell, scored 205,800 on November 28th, 2011. So, yeah. And, uh... I'm not so. quite at either one of those scores because basically I cannot survive Hello? very long in Double Dragon without continuing. I just can't. Yeah. So there you are. <sighs> so, Sean, tell us what you think about this game. I try not to think of it. Because you realize that when we divvied up these games, I was very quick to say, I don't want to talk about Double Dragon. Can I can you just let me do Kung Fu Master, which I wasn't familiar with? And, um, yeah, I, I don't... I. I'm just not a fan of beat-em-ups. I, I don't know. I just can't deal with them. And Double Dragon, I found to be very unfairly difficult. And Yeah, it's, it is unfairly difficult. Worse than Kung Fu Master. And um, unlike you, I do enjoy an occasional beat-em-up. But, um, I, mean, I liked the Beavis and Butthead game, but I think if it weren't Beavis and Butthead, I, I probably wouldn't like it. Yeah, it's, yeah you know, most... Most beat-em-ups are kind of generic under the hood. Yeah. Uh, like the Konami beat-em-ups are all pretty much one-trick ponies for the most part. So continue on with more of your thoughts there before that's, I go on. That's pretty much it. I mean, I, I I, couldn't wait to stop playing the game when I was playing it for, for this podcast. I'm going to be quite uh-huh. honest. Having, if, having said that, I'm going to give it two continues out of five. Because the creativity in the actual plot itself saves it from being a one for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm giving it a two. Now, I do like the Sega Master System version of this game. I think this is a better home game than it is an arcade game. I can see that, yeah. I mean, I was just playing through it recently again. And um, I don't know, it just doesn't grab me in the way that a lot of games do i mean i don't hate it i mean i recognize what it did it was like a um, a big uh kahuna big breakthrough big advancement in the beat-em-up genre and it was insanely popular and i get why people like it it's just not really my cup of tea it just i don't know the plot seems kind of generic to me and i didn't really get involved invested in it i guess yeah. and the thing is like there's another arcade Double Dragon game mm-hmm. for the Neo Geo. I did not mention that. Yeah. And thing is, that one is not a beat-em-up. No? It's a one-on-one fighting game. Really? Yeah. 
Which means that basically if it's called Double Dragon, I'm not going to like it. Because it's either going to be a beat-em-up or a fighting game. Mm-hmm. And I just don't like those genres. I I, don't, I just can't get into them. Yeah. Like I said, I enjoy a good beat-em-up every now and then, but this is not one that I enjoy enjoy that much. Hmm. So Yeah. Two twos. Two twos. Which means it's a four. Which means that we have to go to ballet practice. So or something. Some or so, uh, something. So Jimmy the G, um we should, uh, we should uh, address you Henio, shouldn't we? Well, why? What are we gonna be sending him a check? Sure. Because okay. on well, uh, because uh, way back when we were still in the midst of the episode one twenties, he sent us an email about the two games, such as Kung Fu Master, in which he says, "I never played this game in the arcades back in the Ferg Boonies day. A- anyhow, back then, my very first experience with Kung Fu Master came from playing the port to the Atari seventy eight hundred. When I first played the game, I got very frustrated with it because those dang foot soldiers just kept grabbing hold of my character and just drained his life energy very quickly. Despite that, I kept on trying, and I learned that the trick was to just keep on moving rather than trying to kill everything in sight. Noodles to oh, sorry, needless to say, uh, sorry you're hitting <laughs> noodles. Uh, the game is challenging. Yeah, I don't. I'm not in the mood for noodles right now. I I just want to drink something. I don't want to eat anything. Uh, anyway, he says I knew the game had been ported to the 2600, but I never bothered with it since I already had the 7800 version. I did give it a try years later and found it pretty much the same. It also looked pretty impressive for a 2600 game. The NES version, I didn't check out until even later, when I realized that Kung Fu on the NES was a port of this arcade game. Why did they leave the word master out of the title? Go figure. That's true, I forgot about that. Yeah, when any Nintendo ported it, they didn't put leave master, it was just Kung Fu. Huh. In any case, it wasn't until much later that I finally saw a arcade machine of this game at PRGE. I decided dun, dun, dun. to give it a try and found it was as tough as I remembered the 7800 version to be. Jumping and kneeling are really important in order to get anywhere in this game. By the way, did you know that a remake of this game will be coming to the Intellivision Amico? I'm that curi- I did not. I'm curious to see what they do with this game. Ooh. Thank you for your thoughts on Kung Fu Master. Uh, yes, thank you very I, much. I'm just going to have to take your word for it because I really don't want to play this again. I just don't. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm kind of done with it myself. So I might play it again, but I uh, definitely will play it on the Master System. And uh, actually on the Atari. No, I don't have it on the 2600. I do have it on the um, Concerto cart. I have Kung Fu Master cartridge for the 2600. Ah. So I will definitely play that on, on that. Well, do you have anything to say in response to his Double Dragon comments? Well, bah, 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 bah. number two, Double Dragon. I'd be lying if I said I'd never played this game in the arcade. I sure did, and many were the quarters that I fed this machine back then. I was terrible at the arcade version of this game. Regardless, I kept on trying. I really liked the look of the game and the theme music. Yeah, the game does have pretty good music, uh, and I had to learn how to beat it. I gave up trying until I got the Atari 7800 part of the game. I was a bit disappointed with the look of the characters in the game, but it didn't really matter to me. I was able to play Double Dragon at home and not spend quarter after quarter trying to beat the game. I eventually was able to beat that version of Double Dragon, and I was very happy I was able to do it. 
The 7800 version really can use a pokey hack and more memory to improve the character graphics. Oh, totally agree there. The backgrounds are actually pretty good. Uh, if I might interject, I think somebody did do a graphics hack I think of so. the 7800 Double Dragon that you might want to check yeah, out. I think it's the same guy who did the Rampage graphics hack. I think you might be right. I know this is hack version. Oh, duh. Yeah, hack version <laughs> with improved graphics. And it really is a nice change. When I got an NES, I decided to give that version a try, and I was very disappointed. There was no double in this version. They should have called it Single Dragon, which is what everybody called it. When I got the Genesis, I got that port. I didn't realize there was on the Genesis. I got that port, and I did enjoy that one. It's far better than the 7800 version, though not a perfect port either. I got the Lynx version. There was, it was on the Lynx? And it was on the Lynx, apparently. I think this is the one I enjoyed the most, despite it having more of a close-up look to it. I now also have perfect emulations of not only the first Double Dragon, but also of the sequels that I can play on my Android devices, including my Ouya. He's like one of five people that own an Ouya, I think. Uh, <laughs> I know there's a port for the Dreamcast, but I have not tried that one. Maybe I should try it sometime. There's one thing that can be said of the game. It has plenty of ports that range from absolutely terrible to excellent. Yes. So that's all for today. Please wear a mask, wash your hands, and stay safe. Going to the Final Frontier Gaming. Anyway, um, yeah, Eugenio. Thank you again, Eugenio. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, our friend. Um, oh, speaking of our friend, we have some friends that we do want to uh, thank who have been uh, very supportive of us uh, financially over Should the years. Should we uh, reveal the theme first? Um, no. How do- no. No. Let's let okay. them wait. Uh, so oh. the following th- people we would absolutely love to thank. So we are thanking you now, Richard Valdez and Tim Foley and Timmy Mack and Underground Retrocade. And New Balance Stores, Phoenix, and PJ Steele, Kurt Musgrave, Air Shack, Mike, Hat NJ, which reminds me, Air Shack, I gotta get back to your email, I'm not ignoring you, I'm just stupid. Uh, Keith Sheehan, Rory Coleman, Coleman, did I say Coleman, as if there's more than you one of them? Coleman. Coleman. Uh, Daniel Chavez, Art Guglielmo, Steve Steiner, the SNES podcast, Mark Super, Kyle Etter, Richard Grounds and Lance Endries and Atari Bites and Christian Williams and Nate Lockhart and D. Alex. Thank you all so much for your support on Patreon. Did I ever tell you that, um, despite even, I've, I know I've mentioned that uh, Rory Charles Coleman and I share the same birthday, but did I ever mention that when uh, I lived down in Kankakee, he lived a couple of blocks down on the same street? I, did I not didn't know, know that. it. Yeah, I didn't know it until we moved away. Wow. And uh, so, yeah. So poor guy. Quite, yeah, poor guy. For living in the area. Yeah. So, Well, actually, we were living in Bradley, not Kankakee, but still. Well, you were walking distance from Kankakee, just a couple of blocks. Yeah. So, so you, you two and Cracker Jack lived in the same the same street. I did not know this. Well, I know anyway, now. But, yep. So, at any rate, so the theme. Yes, yes, yes do tell. These are uh, beat-em-up games, which reported to the Atari 7800 and 2600 by Activision. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. yeah. Activision did port a handful of arcade games, uh, mm-hmm. these two, Commando and Rampage. Yeah, that's right. They did Rampage. They did? Well, they ported other arcade games. They just called them other game, other names. Yeah, that's true. But for as bad as Rampage looked on the 2600, it actually played pretty well. Yeah, it really I did. I mean, for what, it, for what it is, for what the 2600 can do, they did a pretty decent job with it. That they did. And uh, unfortunately, our friend Brian Colon had nothing to do with that. Yeah, so. probably would have been better. But hey, what can we do? Well, I'll tell you what we can do. We can talk about a couple of more uh, arcade video games coming up, such as uh, 
Oh, what are we talking about again? We're talking... Talking about Mikey. And name that tune. And name that tune. Ooh, what could the theme possibly be? I can <laughs> name that tune in two notes, Alex. Oh, oh man, I have <laughs> so much metaphors. to say, but I'm going to save it for the next episode. Yeah, me too. I think that's going to be an interesting episode. I hmm. kind of hope it is. All right, so once again, Morse, Illinois, blah, 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 Jimmy G. And Pie Factory Headquarters North. Uh, this is Sean, Mommy and Daddy. And support your local arcade. Please do. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash PieFactoryPodcast. Pie Factory Podcast is a member of the Fab Four IT Podcast Network. So what are your thoughts on Eugenio's thoughts? Uh, I thought that he had some thoughts, and they good. were good thoughts. They were great thoughts. They were they were huge thoughts. And He had um, the best thoughts. We should probably not go there. <laughs> uh, seriously, uh, thank you for the email. Ich bin ein thoughts. Oh, uh, you're a caution. I did not have thoughts with that woman. <laughs> Thoughts is not going to be another Vietnam. Okay, I'll stop. Oh, oh, God. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah, Harry King Danny. I had thoughts. Okay. You I haven't are done my Bush impersonation in a while. <laughs> well, Rosalind and I had thoughts. <laughs> I had thoughts. Bully. Bully. That's supposed to be Teddy Roosevelt, but I have no idea what he <laughs> sounded like, but that's probably pretty close. Money. <laughs> yeah, we, we are we are so nonpartisan here, so everybody everybody gets in a gets a uh, thoughts impersonation. <laughs> yes, it's the What Would Teddy Roosevelt Think About Video Games podcast. <laughs> I'd love to hear F- Franklin Pierce's thoughts. I, I would think Millard Fillmore would probably sound like eh, Hi, I'm I, I'm Millard Fillmore. Hmm.